And today, it's, this message is it's plotting a course, and, and the, the subject of what we're talking about is prayer. And, and prayer is that very thing that helps us to plot a course through life. We tend to have a, a, a perspective on prayer that maybe isn't really a good one. We, we tend to say things like, there's nothing that we can do now but pray, or, or that's all we can do is pray. We need to be a people and we need to become a church that recognizes the reality that prayer is the thing that, that really moves us. It's, it's the engine for the church. It's the engine for our lives. It's not something that we do when we've exhausted all of our other resources. It's the very thing that, 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 that ignites everything as we even begin. So prayer really should be our first option. It should be the very first thing that we as Christians go to. And we should all really be growing in our prayer relationship to God, that we should be constantly moving into this and going deeper and deeper and deeper as we seek to know this awesome God more and more, and we seek to make intercession for the world and for the people around us, recognizing that God has called us to do this, that this is a relational component and so let's, let's kind of look into this a little bit, and let's, um, let's explore this idea. So I started out with this concept of a, of a sailboat and the idea of, of going somewhere. Well, sailboats have kind of interesting features, and, and one of those interesting features that makes a sailboat unique from other boats is the keel. And, and the keel underneath the boat is this long, this fin, it could be long or short, but the bottom line is, is that this keel is weighted, and it becomes a counterbalance against the wind. And so when a sailboat, when its sails fill with wind and, and, and it moves over, that's called a healing position, and this, this, uh, this keel helps to counterbalance the boat and keep it from just flipping over. The other thing that the keel does is that it's a wing underneath the water, and, and it's this fin, basically, underneath the water. And this fin keeps the boat moving directionally straight. It keeps the wind from actually just moving the boat out and across the water this way and being blown by the wind this way. It cuts into the water like a, as a fin, and it keeps the course. It keeps us moving straight. <clears throat> Prayer is much like this. Prayer becomes this, this, this thing that, that as a counterbalance in our lives that when when, when the forces of life hit us and they, they fill our sail and we feel like we're about to be blown over, it's prayer that keeps us upright. It's, it's prayer that keeps us in that place. And it's prayer that is that fin that keeps us moving on course as we, uh, as we move through the struggles and the trouble and the storms of this life. Another interesting thing about sailing is this, is that, <clears throat> is that us is that it's really impossible to sail directly into the wind. There, there's, there's one point of, of the wind direction that you can't go, is you can't go directly into the wind. Now, you can tack, you can move back and forth, and you can make headway into the wind, but you can't sail directly into the wind. <clears throat> See, as a matter of fact, the direction that you go in a sailboat has nothing to do with the direction of the wind. What it has everything to do with is how you set your sails. The, the way that you set your sail in accordance to the wind is how you directionally move somewhere. You see, a sail is really ultimately, it's a wing, 
And, and what happens in sailing is that, is that the wind comes and it fills the sail, and you have wind that's moving on either side of the sail. And so when the wind is moving faster on the outside of the sail, it creates a low-pressure zone. If there's a high-pressure zone behind and a low-pressure zone in front, and instead of the wind pushing a sailboat, what actually happens is a, a sailboat is being sucked into the low pressure. And, and so, so it's this idea, this same thing that, that in life that, that we have winds and we have storms and we have things that are blowing, and this is a constant in our lives. But what's really most important and what's going to keep us directionally going the way that we want to go is how we set our sails. Well, how we set our sails in life is equivalent to how we're praying. How are we looking into this? How are we approaching our prayer life? It's an interesting thing that the slowest point of sail is going with the wind. Um, when you're going in the same direction that the wind is going, that's actually the slowest that you can go in any of the points of sail. It's actually when you're going into the wind just a bit, the fastest is called a beam reach. It's when it's going straight across and the wind is coming this way, and it's coming around the front of that sail really fast. This is the fastest that you can go. You see, our prayer life, it's that, that very thing as well that it, it kind of pulls us into the kingdom. It pulls us into the heavenly realm. It pulls us into the spiritual realm. And as we were talking earlier, Molly and I, the veil gets a lot thinner right there, and we're actually moving spiritually in a way that we can't if we're just going along with life and what it's bringing us. So, what is prayer, and why do we do prayer? Well, prayer is simply a purposeful communication with our Creator. It's a message that we're purposely trying to get. It's the act of making conversation with God. It's the purposeful time in which we set apart and we recognize God for who He is, and we petition him, we begin to ask, we begin to praise him, we begin to glorify him, and we begin to intercede for others. It's this intimate connection, and it's this wavelength that we have with God in which we can both speak to God, and we also can receive and hear from God through our prayer life. Well, why do we pray? Well, we pray really because we need to be changed, and it's prayer that really begins to change us. You see, prayer kind of refigures who we are. It, it starts generally, and we're going to look into this by, 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 a, by looking into this God that we serve, by, by recognizing just how great he is, by, by adoration and awe. And when we get into this place and this space, it, it helps us to reframe ourselves to, to this. It, it reconnects us with our creator-creature relationship. It humbles us. And it brings us into the presence of God, and it changes us. It begins to grow us. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hold that if we're not a prayerful people, that spiritually we're not changing or growing. Because change and growth happen by this, this powerful force called prayer. So prayer is universal for one thing. As a matter of fact, it's universal in a couple of different respects. One is that all people pray, that around the globe and all kinds of belief systems and things like that, we are a people who are trying to connect with this creator God. We know that, that there's a God out there. We know that there's more out there. 
And prayer becomes this universal means by which humanity is trying to make a connection to God. Prayer is also universal in the sense that all, all Christians are called to pray. That prayer isn't given to just the, the, the staff at the church or to the small group leaders or to just super highly spiritual people. That, that this prayer in our prayer life is a universal call to all people. And this prayer is, is, is the idea of petition, that we are going to ask God for things, that we are petitioning God for his active involvement in the world around us. We're asking for intercession. We're making intercession for other people. We're praying on behalf of those who are outside of the kingdom. We, we make intercession for our friends and for our family. We make intercession for those who are sick and those who are um, <clears throat> just left in a spot where, they, where maybe they can't pray, at least that we know. But we, as a church body, we come around the people around us in prayer and in intercession. Prayer can be confession, the idea that we go before God and we get real with who we are. We get real with what we're dealing with, what, what sin is, is, is beseeching our lives, and we, we confess to God the sin that's in our lives, and we ask him for healing and wholeness. And again, through the humility of having done this, we set ourselves up into a place spiritually to begin to receive healing because all healing really begins with honesty. There's just this reality that until we're ready to be honest with the struggles that we're having and, and the sin in our lives, until we're ready to be honest about it and confess it, we're probably living in a place of denial. We're probably living in a place of still desiring our sin more than what we want God. As a matter of fact, I would hold that it's quite possible that we can't ever really heal or change until we're ready to humble ourselves and confess. Because the act, the very act of, of confession is one that begins to make the proclamation within our hearts and our minds that I love you, God, more than I love this sin that I'm holding on to. And when we get real with that, when we begin to truly confess that, then God begins to open up these pathways and these places of healing so that we, as we love God more than we love the sin in our lives, this is the pathway to change. You see, we can try to just not do A or B or whatever that thing is that we do, but as long as we hold on to it more and we love it more than we love God, we may change for short term, but we'll never change long term until we're ready to put that aside and we're ready to just love God more than anything else. It's a place of adoration where we adore God, where we recognize the, the, the character um, attributes of this amazing, awesome God that we serve, that we, that we praise Him, that we give adoration to Him, that we are praising Him for all of the goodness that He has to us that we give thanksgiving for this, to this God for all of the blessings that we have. And there's a real reality that all of us who live in this country, we experience incredible blessing. And we need to be a thankful people. And even in the midst of our struggles, and we're going to look into this some more, the prescription for the struggle and the prescription into peace is really thanksgiving. Prayer is relational and it's intimate. It's, it's, there's a relational 
component to this. It's, it's, it's saying that, that we have this personal relationship. You see, you don't just hopefully call random people on the phone and try to talk to them, right? We call the people and we talk to the people that we are in relationship with. And the deeper that relationship tends to be, the more often that we talk and the deeper that we go, the more intimacy that we share together, the more transparency that we have in the midst of that. Prayer is a relational thing. And as we grow relationally deeper in our relationship to God, we'll also go deeper in our prayer life. It's a, it's a picture of trust and dependency that when we truly understand or we truly become a people who recognize that prayer is the first place that I need to go, we are demonstrating our faith and our trust in this God who says that, that He is able, that He is sufficient for us in all manner and on all things. A, a, a God who says that He is ready to bring fulfillment into our lives. Um, uh, and we're also just recognizing, too, our dependency. You see, too often, especially in maybe the medical realm, we, we're, we're a people who, who never pray until the end. We believe somehow that, that the medical realm is somehow more able than God to get something done. You see, all of these things, whether it be um, our work, um, our medical issues, our health, all of these things need to be first bathed in prayer, and then God works in, and then He works through people too. And certainly, He works within medicine, and He's given us um, the abilities and the giftings and the, uh, the intuition and all that He's given us to do the different things. But our prayer is a demonstration of trust and dependency. It advances His kingdom. It's the very thing that moves God. And there are too many examples within the Bible for it to be any other way. There's a reality to this that God oftentimes waits, that our prayers make a difference, and that as we pray and as we ask, that it actually moves God into action, that it advances His kingdom, that we cooperate in a commission together, that God works in this world even as we pray. And I know even for my own life personally that, that when things seem flat and they seem kind of just really my spiritual life, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the Word or I'm in prayer and it just feels like I'm kind of just dr chewing on a dry stick, like, like that I don't feel like I'm getting much out of it and I don't feel like there's much fruit in my life or there's not much opportunity to share the gospel or to help or to be a part of other people's lives or to pour out into other people, I always recognize, well, I don't always recognize it right off, but ultimately it always comes down to how deep in prayer am I? Because as I'm in prayer, those things begin to happen, those things begin to change. As I'm making that intimate relational connection with my God, it enhances both my time in the Word and it also enhances the fruit that I see in my life. This church is very much the same. Until the church truly becomes a praying church, it won't move and advance the kingdom within Sheridan in the way that God has for us. Prayer increases our awareness of God's activity all around us. It brings us into that connection where we start to make the connection that I prayed for that, and then God moved. And I prayed for that, and I saw God move in this way. You see, it grows and it builds our faith. It makes our awareness more keen of God's 
activity all around us. The Hebrew word for pray is tefillah, and it means to beg, to beseech, to implore. It's the, it's the word that is given for prayer. It, it comes from a, uh, a verb, palel, which means to judge, and lehit palel means to judge oneself. It's the word that is given. It's a reflexive verb that is given in which the, uh, it, it reflects back on itself the very thing that it's doing, and it means basically to judge oneself. It, it means to, to understand that, that prayer really has to begin with, with a reflection on myself. Remember, Jesus talked about the idea and the concept of things like judging our brother. He, he told us to, to first get the log out of our own eye before we try to get the splinter out of our brother's eye. It's this idea that, that when we want to see change in the world around us, we have to recognize that it begins with us, that, that prayer should first begin with a humility, with, with us getting real with the reality of who we are, of, of not coming before this or, or, or making petition for the world around us from a place of arrogance. We need to first humble ourselves and to recognize that we need to reflect on where we are, where we are with our actions, with our words, and with our participation in God's activity on the earth. See, prayer moves and it changes us. Prayer changes nothing about God. As a matter of fact, the whole act of prayer is a one-way thing. You see, God doesn't pray back to us. We pray to God, and God gives revelation back to us. Prayer is powerful, and it is accessible to all. You see, wouldn't God, isn't it just like God? Isn't this what God would do is one of the most powerful things that we could do in the kingdom? He doesn't limit it to anybody. He doesn't, he doesn't make it to where somebody who's over here or elderly or infirmed or unable to do some of the other things, guess what? They can still pray. And prayer is this powerful thing, and I'm going to hold that it. it's the most powerful thing that we can do within the church, and God has made it accessible to everyone. So sometimes the most powerful figures in the church might be that little old lady on her walker who's just a prayer warrior, and in the kingdom and in the, in, in the spiritual realm, she's, she's, just, she's just like a warrior. She's just a prayer warrior. This is the picture. This is the reality of prayer. See, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Second Chronicles 7.14 tells us this. It starts by saying, if my people, if my people, not if those people, not if all those guys out there, but if my people, if the people that have a personal relationship to God, who are called by my name, those who are ambassadors for this very God that we're talking about, those who, are, who, have, been, who have had the revelation, who have, who have had the transformation in their lives, who are called by his name, who represent him bodily on this earth, if they will begin how? Not by prayer, 
but by first humbling themselves. If they will get the log out of their eye, if they will recognize the reality that we've all fall short, that, that nobody has got this, that nobody has got this figured out, if we'll start from that position even prior to entering into prayer, if we won't just be arrogant and judgmental, I really think that there's just way too much arrogance out there right now. There's, there's too much holding on to rights. There's too much believing ourselves to be right and everyone else to be wrong. We need to first recognize that we need to humble ourselves and then we need to pray. And as we pray, we want to truly seek his face. He says, if they will pray and seek my face. You see, we can pray and we can take a few minutes out to pray. And we can kind of pray to our own end. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about authentically having our prayers be something in which we are asking and then we are seeking God's face. We truly want to hear what he has to say about it. Not just what we want to hear about it, but we truly want to hear what God has to say about it. And then we want to be a people who, because we're humble, we're going to be willing to adjust our position according to what he says and what he tells us as we seek his face and his answer. And then as they turn, as these people, God's people, the church repents from our wicked ways, that we repent from, from not participating in his kingdom in the way that he's called us to. As we turn from judgment and anger and resentment and hate, and we recognize that the hope and the reality of the change in the world around us is coming only through the gospel and through the proliferation of the gospel. And when God's people are in prayer, interceding for the world around us, and then bringing and sharing the message of hope, then it says that God will hear from heaven and he will forgive their sin, and he will heal their land. So again, if we, if we truly want to live in a different place, if we want to see the land around us healed, politics have a place, but there will be no political savior. There's one savior. There's one way to see our land healed, and that's by making disciples it's by asking, it's by interceding for the world around us, and it's by sharing the gospel. That's the change that's going to change the world. Look at a few more things here about prayer. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I find great comfort in this because the way I'm seeing this, it says when I don't know what to pray, when I just get on my knees before him and I say, I, I don't know, I don't get it, I don't understand, that that doesn't exclude me from prayer because there's this reality that the spirit that lives within the believer is going to still make intercession for us. It still is going to, it's going to cry out. It's going to groan out to God, and it is going to intercede for us 
with words, with, for, with groanings that are even too deep for words, that it's going to take even, it's going to go to a deeper place even than maybe we could even verbally. So sometimes we always just associate prayer with my ability to verbalize what I need and what I want. And sometimes there's just a reality that I don't know what I need. Or sometimes the things that I think I need really aren't the very thing that I need. That there are times that I can go before this God and I can just admit I have nothing, but I know I need something. I have no words right now, or, or I've, been, I, I've been just overwhelmed and overrun by sorrow, by, by the struggle, by, by things I didn't ask for and I don't understand. But I can still go and pray even if I don't have words, even if I'm at a loss for words. I can still pray. Jude 20 and 21, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. By just continually praying in the Holy Spirit, it becomes this ongoing theme. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It says to pray at all times in the Spirit. And, and, and how do we do that? I mean, we, we do that by just having an ongoing, constant dialogue with God. That, that whatever we're doing or wherever we find ourselves, that we're inquiring of God, that we're asking God, that we're bringing God into every aspect of our lives. And it's with prayer and supplication. Well, what's the difference? I thought prayer was supplication. I think maybe possibly the difference between prayer and supplication is that prayer can simply be just the, the, the exhortation, the, the, um, the adoration, the awe and the amazement of this God that we serve without ever asking for anything. But as we make supplication, the idea of supplication has at its core the idea of humbly asking for something else. And so we're, we're to both pray and make supplication. And we want to keep alert and be a people who continue to persevere in this practice of prayer and making supplication for all the saints. When we see our brothers or our sisters and we see that they're struggling, that we want to intercede for them. We don't want to just judge them or be mad or frustrated or angry with them, but we want to be a people who recognize that prayer can make a difference. And as I intercede, it's a powerful, tangible, plausible way for me to intervene a little bit in their situation and their life. And it's something that no one can stop you from. You know, people can, people are absolutely defenseless against your prayers. Even an atheist who would never want you to pray for them is defenseless against your prayers. So it's this picture where we're to pray at all times in the Spirit to bring God into every situation and everything that we have going and to persevere into this pushing, pushing, pushing and making supplication or asking or humbly begging on behalf of all of our brothers and sisters. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious. We're not supposed to carry a big bag of anxiety on our backs. We're supposed to recognize that, that all of our cares and all of our anxieties can be laid at his cross. That when we, when we do that, we, 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 we relieve ourselves of a burden that we were never 
meant to carry. And we do that through prayer and through asking, through humbly asking and through prayer, through understanding and growing in our relationship through who this God is, and then our asking God to move in the world around us. And we do this with thanksgiving, with gratitude. And that's a, that's a really hard thing to do at times, especially when our lives are, 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 are under the gun, especially when, when we're, again, we're facing these difficult things, especially when the, the pain is so great that we don't even know how to act or react to it. We, we do it in thanksgiving because we trust and know that God has a greater plan, that He's at work in the midst even of our, of our suffering, even in our struggles, even in our sorrow, that this is a God who is at work and that we can truly be thankful for what He's doing because in the midst of it, He's changing us and He's gonna use us. And this is a God who wastes nothing. Romans 12, 2 says to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Again, that we are constantly praying, that we are waiting on this God who promises to show up. There's a reality that, that we know that, that it seems like God is, is seldom early, but the hope and the promise is that he's never late. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. First John 5, 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. There is a catch. There is a safety valve here in our prayer, and that is that whatever we ask in His will. You see, prayer has never been, nor is it something that, that is meant to move God over to our plans or to how we would have things to go. Prayer is actually meant to be something that moves us more and more closer into the accordance of what God's will is, that we begin to be a prayerful people who, who understand what God's will is because we were relationally connected with Him close enough and intimately connected close enough that we understand who He is and what His will is. And the very things that we begin to pray are the very things that we know are on the heart of God already, and those are the prayers that God stands ready to answer. James 4.2 says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Luke 11, 9 through 13, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, for the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's an implication in these verses that says that, it, that, that in order to have some things, that there's a necessity on our end to ask. It also, with that implication, would say that there are things that we don't have just because we don't ask. That there are gifts and there are good things that a good Father and a good God wants to give over to us, but He certainly is just waiting for us to ask. 
He's asking for us to just include him in on the deal and bring him in on this. You don't have sometimes because you don't ask. There's a there's the kind of the, the, the thing that goes around that people, you know, everybody always says, oh, don't, don't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience, right? Why? We need to be a patient people. There is the reality that if you pray for patience, God wants to give it to you because it's a great attribute to have in our lives. But there's the reality that you'll probably get opportunities to practice patience in. But this is a God who wants to give it. And we're a people who, if we need it in our lives, if you need patience, pray for it. Ask for it. And then know and understand that this God wants to gift you with good things, and he's going to walk with you through that journey. John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This gets tagged onto all kinds of stuff, right? Sometimes we believe that it's the magic catchphrase that if we just add in Jesus' name to the end of our prayer, that now somehow God is obligated to do this thing. But the problem with that is, is that, again, prayer is meant not to move God over into our will, because we all know there's a reality in our lives that there are some things in our lives that we've asked for, that we've prayed for, that as we look back now in our lives, we're so thankful that God didn't answer that prayer and He didn't give us that thing. So God has these safety valves sometimes in our prayers. And, and, and one of these things here is this idea that if you have to ask it in his name, and when it talks about asking it in his name, it's not talking about adding in Jesus' name to the magic catchphrase at the end. It means that you are a representative of him, that you're moving and operating in his name as his representative, moving and operating as he would on this earth. And when we do that again, that begins to move our, and align our will with God's will. And then what we ask for him to do is the very thing that is on his heart already. And it's the prayer and it's the response that God moves on. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So what is God saying? He's saying, look, prayer isn't something to be flaunted and, 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 and put on display to everybody. It's not something that we make ourselves look like a spiritual thoroughbred who's running far in front of everybody else, who's 13 lengths in front of the whole field. No, prayer is this private and intimate thing. It's not to be um, used as, as kind of a stepping stool um, in our spiritual perception for other people, so that other people will perceive us uh, as being great. We're, we're not supposed to be a people who, who are um, putting in all the Christianese that we know. Um, we don't have to pray every name, all of the names of God in the Old Testament in the first sentence of our prayer. It's simply talking to God like you would talk to a friend, going in somewhere and just saying, I need to have a talk with you. I need to connect and converse with you. I've got things I need to ask of you. Jesus gave us instruction on how to pray. 
Matthew 6 says, pray then like this. And it starts out this way, our Father in heaven. Again, it's this idea of relationship that who we're talking to is someone that we're related to, that we're in relationship to this Father. And this Father is in heaven. He is set apart. He is completely other than. He is holy, hallowed be your name. So our prayer should start with this idea of adoration and exaltation and awe and wonder of this God that we know, who we're related to, who we're on a personal, intimate level with, the one that we can cry out, Abba, Father, or we can call him Daddy, because this is the nature of our relationship. The second part of this is, is to ask, your kingdom come. For the Jewish people, they certainly knew what it was to have a kingdom come against them. They'd had that many times, the, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Assyrians, the, you, you name it, the Greeks, the Romans, all came against the Jewish people. They knew very well what it was like to have a kingdom to come and to come against them. Sometimes I think that's a great prayer in our lives is the idea that your kingdom come against mine, Lord. Break mine down. Bring me into a place, um, a new place with you. Uh, bring me into a place of right humility. Break down these fortresses that I hold on to, these things that I believe um, will sustain me or help me. Your kingdom come against this one. Your kingdom come into this world and your will be done. That's a tough one, and that takes humility. It takes acceptance. And what that's saying is, regardless of what happens, God, regardless of what comes down the pike, your will, not my will, be done. This is a statement of, of trust. This is, this is a tough one, and this is where the rubber really hits the road. This is a place, though, of great peace. It's the, it's the place where, where when we recognize the sovereignty and the power and the goodness of God, and we just make the proclamation that, God, at the end of this, your will be done. You see, Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he mouthed this very thing, not my will, but your will be done. That's not an easy thing always, but there's great peace that comes in that. As a matter of fact, if we can't get to the place where we say, your will be done, and find acceptance in the circumstances of our lives about what has happened and the understanding that his will is to be done, then we'll just wrestle and we'll struggle and we'll live in a reality of chaos in our mind that is just trying to change something out of the reality. We're trying to have something be different than it actually can. And I want to tell you that I stand here as someone who lives that as a real reality in our lives. It's a real place where the rubber has to hit the road in my own life. That I have to be able to say, your will be done, God. And I have to live in the peace of knowing that his will is a perfect will. It's not an easy will. It's not a comfortable will. But that it's a good will. And that he's a good God. And he always does good things. On earth, as it is in heaven, it's this idea that, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done, that everything 
would be done in accordance to this king, that he would be recognized and he would be glorified and he would be magnified and we would all recognize that he's the king of kings and that he's the Lord of lords, that it would be that way here on earth just as it is that way in heaven now, that it would be as uncontested here on earth right now as it is in heaven. This is our prayer that one day that heaven will meet earth and that we will live in perfect harmony and that his will perfectly will be done in each and every life. Give us this day our daily bread. Now look, all of these things have come before we're to ask. Before we ask of anything, we've already acknowledged this God and how great he is. We've, we've poured out adoration to him. We've humbled ourselves. And we've recognized that his will is greater than our will, that his ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and that it's our deepest desire that everything around this earth would be as uncontested as it is right now in heaven. And then we can ask from a right heart and a right place to give us anything of what we might need. Give us then our daily bread. Nourish us, God. Give us what would sustain us this very day. The next part is to forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Remember, there's a call to humble ourselves before we're even able to forgive somebody else because there's a reality out there that if you can't humble yourself, you'll never be able to forgive someone else because you'll see yourself as being above them somehow. Somehow you're, you won't recognize your own need for forgiveness as much as you might need to and you'll see yourself as a notch above someone that you won't forgive. So the idea and the, the picture is that we've humbled ourselves, that we've gotten into a place where we recognize our own need for forgiveness. And out of the grace that has been just lavished upon us, that there would be some left over that we would give that grace out to others, that we would forgive others in the same way that we have been forgiven Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, there's a reality that, um, that we're just asking God. You know, it's like, kind of like, um, boy, I really struggle, God, with chocolate. Don't take me down the candy aisle today. Make sure, Lord, I'm asking you that as you lead me, that you would be my provision, that you would care for me, that you would make sure that I don't go down that one place that would be an absolute temptation for me. We know that God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt any one of us by evil, but we also know that there's a reality of the world that we live in that is fraught with temptation and struggle and evil all around us, and we're asking that God would shield us from that, that he would lead us in a way that would lead us away from any temptation that would shield us from the temptations of our own heart and our own desires and deliver us from evil. Set us free, God, into true and real righteousness. Finally, Matthew 6 reminds us that, and it finishes this prayer, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, there's a real need of a recognition of who we really are before we can receive forgiveness. You see, before I can receive forgiveness, I have to recognize that I'm in need of forgiveness. 
And when I start to really recognize that I'm in need of forgiveness, and I recognize my need to forgive others as well. And so God isn't really saying this idea like, oh, you, you know, you, uh, you, you, you won't forgive uh, your sister for this one little thing. I, I'm not forgiving you. you it's, it's outside. Now you can't, you can't be saved. You can't, you know. It's not really like that. It's, it's this idea of, of humility. It's this idea that until we recognize our need for forgiveness, we won't forgive others. Because again, we'll hold ourselves as being somehow better than them. Somehow that we don't need forgiveness and they do. And, but we're gonna withhold it because we're, we're higher than them, we're better than them. We, we really put ourselves in the position of, of being God in that situation. And what God is asking us to do is to, is to just put that all down and to put down the idea that somehow I'm judge, jury, and executioner, to turn that over to the one who's truly able to do that and to do it from a righteous perspective and to forgive those and then to put myself in a place where I can receive the forgiveness that God has ready and he's purchased for each and every one of us. So the challenge for all of us is to just go, to go deeper in this, this life of prayer, to, to recognize the reality of the power that this represents, that this is our first line of defense, not our last line of defense. That, 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 that if we want to change the world around us, if we want to have change within our own lives, if we want to have change within our church, that it begins with prayer. And that anybody and everybody is both called and able to pray, to, to enter into the most powerful practice that we can have as believers. Let's do this final thing, and let's practice this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are totally set apart, that you are holy and that you are awesome, that you're the creator of all things, that you hold every atom together this very moment. And if you cease to do that for even a millisecond, it would all fly apart. We just acknowledge that you're who you are, that you're the creator and that we're the creature, that, that, that you're good and we're flawed, but that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves, that you've provided a way of salvation. And in that way of salvation, you've, you've placed a part, you've, you've placed yourself within us by the Holy Spirit, and you've given us this connection, you've given us this wavelength that we can connect with you, that we can speak to you, that we can hear from you, that we can interface with you. And so, Lord, we just ask and we pray that, God, that your will would be done in our lives and in our church and in the community and our nation and the world around us. God, regardless of what that looks like, God, help us that we might put down our preconceived ideas of what that ought to look like and that we would truly be a people who humble ourselves and in humility seek your face, ready and just willing to adapt what we believe and how we see things according to what you see in it in it, and according to what you tell us about it. Lord, help us that we would be truly a prayerful people. Help us to forgive well. Help us to, to desire that your kingdom would come against this kingdom full force, that it would change everything about the world around us, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that you, Jesus, are King of kings and Lord of lords. So take us deeper, Lord, in our prayer life. Take us to a new place, God. Help us that we might 
brush up against, that the veil would get thinner and thinner for us as we, as we come to know you more and more, that we would experience more of who you are, that we would hear more of what you have to tell us. And we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. We make intercession, God, for the world around us. For, the, for those who don't know you, Lord, we pray that you would draw them to yourself, Lord. We pray that you would bring them closer to you because apart from your spirit, Lord, we can't evangelize, we can't, we can't change anybody apart from your work. So, Lord, we're asking that you, would, that you would draw the world to yourself and that you would equip your people and that you would empower your people and you would make your people courageous to share the hope that is within us that we might truly see your will done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, we just give you the honor, the glory. We ask that you would help us to forgive in the manner that we've been forgiven in, that we would extend that to others. That, God, we wouldn't be chained to events in the past because we're unwilling to forgive, but that we would be willing to allow you to be the judge and that we would cut those chains and that we would move forward in the freedom that only forgiveness brings. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a gift to pray, that you've equipped us to pray, that you've called us to pray, that you've taught us to pray. Lord, may we pray more and more and more and more. And may we do it under the power of your spirit. And may we do it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you can take a minute too now. Um, we're sorry we can't bring worship into this at this time. Uh, we won't be outside meeting forever here. The weather's going to run us inside soon, and then we'll, we'll be more on an actual live stream. But I hope too you can just take a time of of reflection and prayer and meditation, that you can spend some time in worship, that you might put on some worship music and spend a little time right now in prayer. And may you be used mightily for God's work. Uh, may you ask Him in accordance to His will for what His will is for you for the week coming up. May you have rested for the work that's coming up. Thanks for tuning in. Be blessed. We'll see you next week as well. Bye-bye.